0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Glad you guys are here. Uh, You braved the cold and uh, all the other things that could have kept you from being here. And so we're grateful that you're here. If you're joining us online, we're we're glad that you're tuning in as well. And uh, excited to continue in this series we started last week uh, called Common Threads, where we're just going through some biblical themes, some there's just some threads that run from Genesis to Revelation that when we, when we grasp these, we're able to recognize these. It really expands our understanding of Scripture as a whole and helps us uh, see the Bible as a unified story uh, that leads to Jesus and uh, helps us uh, be able to put ourselves in the story as well, which I think is really important when we read Scripture to find out how, how we're a part of, of what God is doing in the world to redeem the world and bring us to new creation ultimately. So last week we talked about the image of God. If you missed that, i encourage you to go back and check that out. We're we're doing these in a particular order. And so uh, understanding who we are as image bearers of God is gonna be a part of everything we talk about uh, through the rest of the series, including today. And so today we're gonna talk about uh, how we relate as human beings to uh, work, the idea of work and rest. And uh, this concept is, is a thread that runs throughout Scripture. Uh, the main word that we would use for it is Sabbath, the principle of Sabbath, uh, which is what we're going to kind of dive into today. And the reason why this is important is because as human beings, and this has been, it's been this way since the fall, we, we have a distorted relationship with work. Uh, our rhythm of work and rest as human beings is, is not naturally God-honoring, it's not naturally an expre- a good expression of the image of God in us. And so we need to learn and we need to make adjustments. We need to be aware of, of the ways that our culture sort of uh, pushes back against this. In America, we're, we're worse at this than most other countries, actually. This this. This kind of obsession we have with work and busyness—it's not like this everywhere in the world. Americans sort of pride ourselves. I mean, it's the American way, right? You work hard, you can achieve, and you can accomplish, and you can be whatever you want. You can you can live your life of luxury. You can retire early. You just you just gotta work hard. You gotta put in the time. You gotta you gotta you gotta stay busy, stay active, and and there's a lot of that that we can take pride in. That there's a good work ethic sort of at the root of that. But the distorted piece of it comes when we we. we Believe that the only way that we can achieve or find success and happiness is through just constantly staying busy and working hard, uh, and this is just not a biblical principle. But it's sort of the way that our, our society works. Again, not not every country works this way. So, uh, did you know that in Luxembourg, which is a country, some of you are like, "Oh, I, I didn't never heard of that." That's a that's a country. Yep, Luxembourg is a country in Europe, and they have a, a, a nationwide twenty nine hour work week. Nationwide twenty nine hour work week. Like wow that. That sounds great, doesn't it? Some of us are like, yeah, man, that would, that would cut my time in almost in half, like 29-hour work week. And our, our American mind would say, well, I'm sure they don't. They're not nearly as productive. They're probably not nearly as, as you know, high a standard of living. They're probably not nearly as happy as we are. Wrong on all three counts. Luxembourg is more productive per hour than the average American worker, and their standard of living is higher, and their general national happiness ranks higher than the U.S. Uh, Germany, metal workers in Germany just applied for a 28 hour work week. Uh, th- this, is like, this is not like management people, these are blue collar, just metal workers, one, 28 uh, hour work week in Germany. And again, productivity per hour is higher than the average in the US, standard of living's higher, general happiness as a nation is higher. So we, we kind of look at that and we go, well, that can't be right. I mean, that, that's, not, that's not how you get things done. You get things done by working hard. You work 40 hours. You, 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 you want to get more done, you work 50 hours. You want to get more done, you work 60 hours. If you want to be more successful, you work more, right? If you want to be happier, which success equals happiness, doesn't it? Then you work more. Well, what if that's not what we're created to do? What if, what if that's not a healthy relationship with, with work, I think from the very beginning, God sort of lays out a different relationship between work and rest and busyness uh, that he's intense for his image bearers to live out. And so what I want to do is take a look at that, see uh, how scripture kind of uh, follows this thread of Sabbath from from beginning to end, and what that that maybe means for us as followers of Jesus here in the United States in 2022. So let's dive in to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we, we read last week, and at the end of chapter 1, God creates human beings in His image, right? He designs them to rule alongside of Him. They're invited from the very beginning to work, okay? Work's not a bad thing. Work is present before the fall. This, this invitation to partner with God in ruling over creation, having dominion over creation, is work, but it's this work that's in partnership with God, and it's in bringing flourishing and thriving out of, out of the created world. And so it's a good work. It's, it's natural and holy and healthy. And that's what he made them for on, on day six. So what happens on day seven? You would think, like, if they're made to work, they're created to rule and have dominion, man, on day seven, it's, it's time to get to work. I mean, we're here now. We have this great commission, this great job to do. It's time to get to work, right? Nope. Nope. It's time to do the opposite of that. Uh, Let's start in Genesis chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because of it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. So instead of creating these human beings, giving them this invitation to work with him and ruling and bringing good out of, out of the created world, instead of going straight to work, the first thing they do is rest. So this immediately pushes back against our notion that a day off is something that you earn, right? They didn't earn a day off, did they? They, they haven't done anything yet. These first humans, they haven't, they, haven't, they haven't put hand to plow. They haven't harvested, they haven't planted, they haven't done anything yet. And the first thing they get to do is rest. We're like, well, that's backwards. You don't rest before you work. You work and then you rest. In fact, one of our, our family values, we have these kind of family values we call the Coulter way in our home. And one of our family values is work before play, work before play, work before play, right? My kids know that. They don't like it, but they know it. But this would kind of say, well, actually, it's, it's you rest first, and then, then you work. So they, they rested on the seventh day. And it, it's not about being tired. Was God tired from creating like everything? Was he like, oh man, that just, that just wiped me out. I, I don't think I have the energy to go one more day. I, I have got to have some time to rest. Well, no, God wasn't tired. I mean, obviously God could have, God could have kept working. He doesn't need a day off. But what he does is he takes this day, this 24-hour period, and he blesses it. And and the context in blessing, and what God does when he blesses something is he infuses it with divine purpose. That's that's, kind of what God does when he blesses. He infuses it with divine purpose. So he takes this day and he makes it holy, and he infuses it with divine purpose. This day now becomes about rest with God and enjoying creation, just rest with God, and enjoy creation that's that 's the divine purpose that God has infused into this day, so Adam and Eve get to spend this first day of existence resting with God enjoying creation and preparing for the work of ruling alongside God and bringing flourishing out of creation so uh, after the fall, so the next chapter is, is, uh, talks about the fall when Adam and Eve, they, they reach for the authority to decide right and wrong for themselves. They take that authority on themselves. They break their relationship with God and the curse that comes <clears throat> directly applies to work. The curse that comes is about, okay, now, now work, work which was supposed to be this partnership with God and bringing good out of creation. Now work is gonna be painful toil, painful toil. And for many of us, we've had those jobs, right? Maybe you have one of those jobs right now where you're just like, this, this job is just painful toil. It's just something that's, it's, it's, a, it's a necessary evil that I have to have if, I, if I'm gonna eat. That's what work became because of sin. It's not what it was intended to be. So when God chooses Abraham to become his representative, he's gonna represent himself to the nations of the world through Abraham and his descendants. God begins to rebuild. He's rebuilding the image of God in human beings. And, and he's gonna show the world what it looks like to live in relationship with God as his image bears through Abraham. And so uh, Abraham's descendants end up in slavery in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And so for, for this period of slavery, there, there is no day off for a slave. Slaves don't get a day off. This was not part of the ancient culture. They, they, they have no rest. So immediately when they get out of slavery, They they get across the Red Sea, they get the Ten Commandments directly from God through Moses. And and the the commandments are designed to say, here's what it's going to look like to be my representatives to the world. Let me just give you the basics of what it's going to look like. Number four, four, is this: Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath. Day to keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male, your servant or your female servant or your livestock. Not even the cows are supposed to work on the Sabbath, okay? Uh, Or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, infused it with divine purpose, and made it holy. So they get out of Egypt, which was the land of no rest. That was the, it was the land of no rest, no Sabbath. And they, they get to, uh, on the doorstep of the promised land, and God is saying, the promised land is, is gonna be a land of rest. In fact, their first year in the promised land, they were not gonna have to plant. They're, God said, you're gonna move into this land, and you're, gonna, you're just gonna harvest what other people have planted before you. It's, it's just gonna be, it's gonna be a time of resting with me. Right, that, that was the idea, and to prepare them for this, uh, while they're in the desert, they have this practice of the Sabbath, which, mean, which means one day a week, they're not, they're not going to work. This was not common in ancient culture, because at that time, and in a lot of places in the world today, when, when you're kind of a subsistence liver, you, you, if you don't work, you don't eat that night. Like you, you work so that you can eat that day, right? And the idea of not working means, well, I guess we're going to go hungry one day a week. But what God has told the people is I am gonna provide for you. So, so when, the, when he sends manna, right? Remember this? He sends manna so they'll have something to eat every day. And he tells them to go out every morning and gather, gather enough manna for your family for the day. And that's, I'm, I'm just gonna provide what you need. He tells them on the sixth day to gather two days worth of manna because you're, you're not gonna work on the seventh. But I'm gonna provide enough on the sixth so that you don't have to do that. And, and some people trusted him and they would gather, you know, what they needed on the sixth and they wouldn't gather anything on the seventh, right? But not every, everyone did that. So, uh, and what that demonstrates, I, th- I think, is that we are tempted often to strive for what God has promised to provide. We're tempted to strive. Strive is, is not, a, not a real positive word. Strive means, like, painful toil. That's that's kind of the idea of striving. It's like, I'm, I have to work hard. This is going to be blood, sweat, and tears in order to get this. And we are tempted to strive for what God has promised to provide. But God intends us to live differently. He intends us to trust him to provide so that our work becomes a partnership with him instead of a striving. That, that's the healthy relationship with work. And it points to the new creation. So the new creation, Revelation 22, talks about the new creation and, and new heaven and new earth. And here's, here's how things are gonna be. When, when Jesus returns, he makes all things new. And, and there's a phrase in there in, in Revelation 22 when it's talking about this, that says, uh, the, no longer will there be any curse. No longer will there, will there be any curse. This is, this is a direct reference to the curse in Genesis chapter three after Adam and Eve sinned, and, and part of the curse is painful toil, and, and Revelation is saying, in the new creation, there's not gonna be this painful toil, this striving just to eat, but we're gonna be free just to trust God to provide instead of striving to provide for ourselves. So that's what Sabbath is all about. Sabbath is, is, is trusting God to provide. We have a hard time with, with taking time off because we're afraid we're gonna get behind But Sabbath is about trusting God to provide. So in addition to the one day a week, the seventh day that the people were commanded to not work, every seventh year, they were commanded not to uh, plant or harvest. So every seventh year, in Leviticus chapter 25, we can find that, every seventh year, they're commanded not to plant or harvest at all. So if you think it was difficult for them to take a day off and, and trust that God would provide enough food for them by taking a day off, imagine, imagine what it was like for them to hear God say, you're actually, all, all the farmers, you guys are going to take a year off of farming. No planting, no harvesting for a year. How did they respond to that? Well, we have, we have the answer. So in Leviticus chapter 25, after it goes through all this, every seventh year you're going to take off. Uh, <clears throat> here's where we pick up in verse 20. He says, you may ask what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? And we're like, yeah. Actually, that was the first question we thought of. <laughs> what are we gonna eat in that seventh year? Like, how is this gonna work? God, do you, do you, do you understand how, how planting and harvesting, will like what that does? Like, how are we going to eat if we don't plant or harvest? Well, here's the answer, verse 21. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. That's, that's God's answer to like, how do, how do we survive if we take this time off? If we actually just do nothing for this period of time, how are we gonna survive? And God said, I'll, I'll take care of it. That's not your problem. Like, I will figure that out. I'll provide so much in the sixth year that, that you'll be able to eat off of that for three years. And now the ball is in the court of the people. Do we trust him enough to go a whole year without planting or harvesting? This is absolutely a question of trust because God, as a good steward of creation, wants the land to have a Sabbath as well. So this is the, this is the Sabbath for the land. The land gets a year to, to rest and renew and, and regain its purpose in the following year. So this, this is what we're designed for. But it's a really hard concept and it takes, it takes a lot of trust. And it's not very common in our culture. In fact, uh, we had a, a local business in town that created some waves a few years ago. Um, They're run by some uh, Seventh-day Adventist friends who, who believe that Sabbath is Saturday. We're not supposed to work on Saturday. Uh, they were running their, their business on Saturday and they decided to stop. Even though looking at their numbers, Saturday was probably their most profitable day of the week but they said, we're gonna trust God. We're not gonna work on Saturday. We're just gonna close up shop. They made that decision and guess what happened? God provided. God provided. They did fine. Still, still operating today. But, but that's, that's, that, ra- that kind of raises our eyebrows because it's a very uncommon story, right? That, that idea that, that we're, we're gonna close shop on our busiest, most profitable day of the week because we trust God that if we, if we set aside this time for him, he'll take care of us. That's what Sabbath is intended to be. This is this time of rest in God, enjoying of creation, because we trust Him that if we stop, He'll take care of us, right? That's what Sabbath actually means, by the way, the word. It means stop, it means ceasing. It implies that you were doing something, and then you're gonna get to a point and you're not gonna do that thing anymore, right? So it's not against work, it's work is good. In fact, work is intended to be this, this partnership with God in bringing flourishing and thriving out of creation. So whatever job you have now is a good thing. It's, it's good that you have a job. It's good that you work because this is a chance for you to, to partner with God. Whatever job you have, it means that you have been given some level of responsibility, right? That's why they pay you because you have responsibility for something. Whenever we have responsibility for something, this is a stewardship that we can manage in a way that honors God and blesses other people, that brings flourishing and thriving into the world. This is, this is the way I want to see my job. This is the way I want my kids to see their jobs is that everything I do, my son works at a coffee shop and I want him to see his role at the coffee shop as, as a stewardship, this partnership with God where he gets to be a blessing to his boss, to his coworkers, to the people that come into the store because he's honoring God through what he does. It's a reflection of what Paul says in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, right? That's, that's, that's what a right relationship with work is. My, my work is a partnership with God, it's a good thing, but it's also a good thing to cease from working, to stop working, to Sabbath, and spend some time resting in God and enjoying his creation. These are both good, it's a rhythm, work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. The problem is, in our culture, there, there's, no, there's, there's no value to resting. People, people don't praise you for resting. You don't, you don't get more respect by resting. You get more respect by working harder. That's how, that's how our society is built. This is not, this is not a, a Christian concept. It's a spiritual concept in the sense that it is, it is part of the scheme of the enemy, I believe. In fact, Anne Lamott uh, would say it uh, this way. I'm skipping ahead a little bit in my notes. If the devil can't get you to sin, he'll keep you busy. Well, why why? why? why would somebody say something like that? She's not the only one to come up with an idea like this. Well, because they sort of both have the same result. Because sin and busyness wither your soul. They push Jesus to the margins of your life instead of allowing him to remain in his rightful place at the center. If he, if he can't get you to sin, he'll, he'll keep you busy. And, and what we do is we apply that principle uh, that busyness is a good thing and that work is how we earn, and we apply that spiritually as well. We say, well, well if, if work is how I earn enough money to provide for myself in the future, then work is also must be how I earn my salvation, or I earn God's good uh, grace, or I, I earn God's favor so that, so that God will bless me and, and maybe let me go to heaven someday. Well, that's not spiritual either. In fact, here, here's Jesus' offer from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, say it with me, rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. Jesus doesn't say, guys, y'all stink at this. You're you're all pretty terrible. Uh, I don't know how you live with yourselves. But if you would work a little harder, if you would try a little more, if you would just just stop doing so many dumb things and bad things and wrong things and do, do the right things. Instead, then if you, if, you get to, if you get good enough, if you get a high enough grade, then there's some rest for you. No, Jesus says, just come. All of you people that are sinful and you can't figure it out and you're making bad decisions, just come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. And what an incredible offer. This is, a, this is an offer of spiritual salvation as a gift, not a reward for hard work. This, this is what Jesus offers. And so when we, invent, when, we believe, when we put our trust in him, we're putting our trust in, in, in Jesus in two directions. We're putting our trust in what he's done in the past, that his work on the cross is enough to pay for our sins. And we're putting our trust in what he is doing in the future, which is there is a day of rest coming. And you can find this uh, in Hebrews chapter three and four. You should just make a little note to go back and look that up later. Hebrews three and four, uh, the writer of Hebrews is, connects the the promised land and the idea of entering the promised land as a land of rest to the new creation and, and where we're going as as people who are created in the image of God and called uh, into a, a place of rest. This experience of resting in who God is. That, that's that's where we're headed. But but our world today, again, um, just lives in contrast to that. Uh, here's a quote. This was quoted by John Mark Comer. He was quoting somebody else, and I can't find the original author of the quote, so I apologize. But uh, whoever this person is said, Many, most people are too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually vibrant lives. Does that, does that bother you at all? Because... <laughs> it feels a little personal, right? It was like, hey, b- yeah, I'm busy, but like, I don't know, I mean, too busy to, to live a healthy spiritual life? I see this so much. I have a, I have a friend uh, who's, who's, who's signed up for a bunch of things, like signed up for, you know, for, for classes, signed up for, for groups, discipleship, service, and, and f- flaked out, bailed on all of them. And every time I have a conversation with this friend, Every single time, the first words are, "Man, I've just been, I've just been so busy. I'm sorry, I've just been so, I've just, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. I can't, I can't, I can't do everything, and so I, I got to make choices, and it's hard choice, but I can't fall through with this thing or that thing or this other thing because I'm just so busy. And I wonder how many people hear me talk about that and wonder, is he talking about me? Because <laughs> that's that's our story, right? That's our story is is I'm so busy." And we wear it like a badge of honor because our, our society values that. Because busyness is how we, it's, it's how we earn respect. If you're not busy, then you must be lazy. That's the implication in our culture, isn't it? If you're not busy, you must be lazy. Well, why aren't you busy? You know, I, I, I make this mistake with my kids. I ask them all the time, you know, what, what, what are you doing that's productive? Are you doing something productive today? What are you doing productive with your time? Like, productive, being productive with your time is, is where you find value. Now, what I'm trying to do is push against the sit on the couch and play video games mindset, because that's not good either, right? But I don't, I don't wanna teach them that their value is in what they produce, because their value is not in what they produce, it's in who they are as a child of God. So, so, so there's this place in the middle where we have to say like, okay, sitting on the couch and playing video games all day, that's not what we were made for. But also, finding our value in production and accomplishment and filling up our calendars, that's not what we were made for either. What's what's the right relationship between work and rest? It's to see work as a partnership with God where um, we join him and bringing flourishing and creation uh, out of the world around us. And and then we take time off from that. We cease, we stop, we Sabbath in order to rest with God and enjoy his creation, enjoy our families. So our culture makes this really hard. I'm gonna gonna talk about something uh, most people are not gonna want me to talk about um, but I, I will tell you, like, this is, I have lived through this, so I, I'm preaching to myself as well as everybody else. Let's we'll talk about youth sports for just one minute. Youth sports are good. So you, you learn teamwork, and you, you, you learn skills, and you get, you get involved. But there is a youth sports culture in America that is, is, is a scheme of the enemy that convinces us as parents that if our kids are going to be happy, And we define happiness as they're going to excel at a sport. They're going to be successful. Maybe they'll earn a scholarship someday. If our kids are going to be happy, they have to practice every night and play every weekend. That's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. But man, it's so easy to buy into because that's how our culture just talks about youth sports. Practice every night, play every weekend. Your kids will be happy. They'll love it they'll thank you for it, they won't. And, it, and what it does is it fills up our calendars. So there's no, there's no Sabbath for, for parents who are involved in travel sports. Now, travel sports is kind of a, at another level. I mean, there's school sports, there's recreational sports, and there's travel sports. And if you're doing a, a travel sport year round, there is no Sabbath for you, I know. There's no opportunity to cease because following your kids all over the state Trying to keep up with the schedules and the hotels and paying the payments and all that stuff is not restful. (laughs) It's hard. It's a lot of work. And it's not the way we're created to live. I don't really believe that anyone is too busy for spiritual growth, to serve, to be discipled. I believe it's a matter of priority. What is it that we want to do most? And I believe Sabbath is a bold and courageous move to take control of your calendar and make it work for you instead of the other way around. I don't think we're invited into Sabbath in order to have a lazy, passive day off. I think we're invited into Sabbath to have a countercultural, proactive, risky rejection. Of idolatry of busyness in our culture. It's hard, it's countercultural. But what I invite you to do is practice Sabbath. So here's, here's how the New Testament talks about this the way Jesus did Sabbath was different uh, from uh, the way the Pharisees wanted him to do Sabbath. Jesus broke some of the Pharisees' rules because Jesus would do things like heal people <laughs> on the Sabbath and make sure people ate. On the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are like, that's work. And Jesus is like, well, I'm taking care of people, so let's call that good. Let's just call that good. But then the the New Testament writers come along and they they talk about uh, Paul talks about in Romans that that one day is not any more special than the other. What Jesus did when he died on the cross and he, he, Jesus rested on the Sabbath, the crucifixion was on Friday, the day of preparation, and uh, he rested because the work was done on the Sabbath. But when he rose to new life, now it's not just one day that's sacred. You remember God infused this one day with, with divine purpose? Now Jesus has opened up in all of life because the Holy Spirit is present in every follower of Jesus. All of life, every day is sacred. Every day is infused with divine purpose, every single day. And now it's on us to figure out how we're gonna practice Sabbath without the legalism that the Pharisees had gotten into with the Seventh-day Observance. The Pharisees kind of ruined that for us a little bit. So I want to invite you to practice Sabbath. And it doesn't have to be on Saturday. So no, no New Testament mandate for that. But there is this New Testament expectation that Sabbath is resting in the work that God has done and leaning into what new creation is gonna be. It's like practicing for heaven when we Sabbath, when we rest, when we cease from work. So I, I want to invite you to try this. Now, uh, I, I will give you a couple warnings and then a couple tips, and then we have some guides to practicing Sabbath on the welcome table in the back. So if this is something you're like, I think, I think we might try this, grab a guide off the uh, table in the back, and it gives you a little more of a practical breakdown of how to build this into your life. Because I'm gonna tell you, it's going to be hard. It's gonna be difficult. Uh, first thing uh, is, you're gonna f- if you're like me, not everybody's gonna be like this, but if you're like me, you're gonna feel guilty. Because if I sit... For two hours, I start to feel guilty because I'm not being productive. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's the way I was raised or according to my mindset of what it means to be a productive human being. But man, it is hard for me just to sit. Man, and to take a whole day where I'm not gonna sit the whole day, but the, the whole day is gonna be, I'll, def, I'll help define it for you here in a minute, but it's, it's gonna be a day of rest. A whole day of rest where I'm not producing anything where I'm not achieving, where I'm not accomplishing, where I'm not, I'm not getting better at my job, or I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pushing my ministry forward. mean, a whole day of that makes me feel guilty. And if you're like me, it'll make you feel guilty too. So I just wanna give you fair warning. When that guilt comes, just recognize that's not from God. It's okay, and we can push through that, right? The other thing is, your, the culture around us is gonna push against this. It's gonna make it really hard. Your calendar hates white space, hates it. And when you say no to one thing, you're gonna have three other options to fill that time within five minutes. Your calendar hates white space. And Sabbath is about building some white space into your calendars. And man, it's it's just, it's hard. I I will tell you, I believe that the first three or four times that you set out to practice Sabbath, you're gonna feel frustrated. You're gonna feel like this is impossible. This is not gonna work. I don't think we can actually do this. So just be prepared. If you, if you want to try this, the first three or four times you do it, just go ahead and write those off as we're not going to make it, those first three or four times. But here's what I believe. If you persist, if you do it a fifth time and a sixth time, you will get to experience freedom from striving, freedom from accomplishment, freedom from productivity, freedom from achieving in a way that will renew your soul. I believe it. You get to experience that freedom if you just, just persist. So here are my couple tips, and then there's more. This will be developed more in the guide uh, that we have in the back. Um, these are my couple tips to get you started, and then I wanna, I wanna kind of reiterate why I think this matters for us. First is that you're gonna have to plan ahead. You can't decide on Friday at 4 p.m. that we're gonna Sabbath on Saturday. You won't be ready. You're, you're gonna have to, there, there'll be some things. You'll find, well, you know, well, we, have, we gotta go to the grocery store, or we gotta mow the yard, or we gotta do, we gotta do these things. And listen, go, go to the grocery store and mow in the yard are not things off the table. We're not, we're not gonna be like the Pharisees and make like this legalistic list of what you can do and what you can't do, right? That, that's gonna come under the next tip. But you are gonna have to plan ahead. I would say a week ahead. There, there's a reason why the Jews had what they called a day of preparation. Friday was the day of preparation so that they could do all the stuff, that they would normally need to do on Saturday, but they just get it done on Friday, so on Saturday, they could rest. You're gonna need a week of preparation, probably, because of the way our culture works. You're gonna need a week of preparation if you're gonna take a day off and rest, right? So plan ahead, and the second is, here, here are our framing questions for what, what we should do and not do. Is it restful and worshipful? Is it restful or worshipful? It needs to be, there needs to be both of these involved in your Sabbath. Sometimes uh, we, we are tempted to think of Sabbath as just, uh, just a, a me day. Oh, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have a me day. Uh, and so I'm gonna, you know, go to the spa and I'm gonna do, you know, I'm gonna treat, treat yourself, right? I don't know if we got any fans of Parks and Rec. Treat, treat yourself day. That's not what Sabbath is about. Sabbath is not me day, it's God and me day, okay? So if there's not worship involved in your Sabbath, it's not Sabbath, it's just a you day. There, there, there has to be some worship involved, some connection with your creator, right? Resting in God and enjoying his creation. And your family. So is it restful or worshipful? If the answer is yes, do it. If, if you find going to the grocery store restful, knock yourself out. You're insane, but go for it. I, I mean, whatever, right? If you find mowing the yard, and my wife does, my wife could Sabbath and mow the yard at the same time. She loves it because she just rides. She doesn't push or weed eat. I do that. But she can, she can mow on the Sabbath because she enjoys it, right? If it's restful or worshipful, do it. If it's not restful and, and if it's not worshipful, don't do it. You're like, that's, that's impossible. Is it? I mean, your culture will tell you, absolutely, that's impossible. But the Spirit of God says, trust me. Just trust me. All the things you think are gonna fall apart if you take a day off, If it actually does fall apart, it wasn't that important to begin with. If it's important enough, trust me, I'll take care of it. Just take a day. Rest in God, enjoy his creation in your family. I just wanna challenge you to do this. Here's why, here's why. I I, I ask you guys every week as we dismiss, what's the thing I say at the end of every, you know, it's, it's time to go, and I say what? Be salt and light. There we go, appreciate the enthusiasm, that was great be salt and light. And we, we don't say be salt and light as like these vague things that we don't really know what they mean. We know salt preserves and light pushes back darkness, right? Salt preserves what's good, light pushes back darkness. If we're gonna be salt and light, but we are burnt out, because we work, we stay so busy, we do our 40 hours, our 50 hours, or 60 hours of work, and then, and then, we do all the social activities that we have to do to maintain our lifestyle and our social appearances and make sure our kids have a chance at a scholarship. We do all those things. We're too burnt out to be salt and light. Our salt will lose its saltiness. Our light will be so dim, it's not pushing back any darkness. If we're going to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs the hope of Christ, we've got to reconnect with God, on a regular basis, we've got to have some time set aside to renew and refocus and just rest. There's something in your heart. If, you're, if, if you think this is gonna be a challenge, there's something in your heart going, that sounds nice. I don't know if it's possible. I, I don't know if it can really be done, but that sounds, that sounds nice. Some of you are like retired and loving it, and you're like, I sat with like six days a week. <laughs> well, good for you. I know retirement can be different for different people. Some of you are crazy busy in retirement too, but this will hit everybody different. I I guarantee you, if you're a family and you've got kids living at home, this sounds impossible, but it also sounds really sweet. Oh man, if we could pull that off, it'd be amazing. I just want you to try it. And remember, you're gonna have to try it probably five times before you have one where you go, okay, we did it, that was good, we can do it again. Because if we're going to be salt that preserves what's good in the world and if we're going to be light that pushes back darkness around us, man, we've got to stay connected. We've got to stay fresh and renewed and refocused on a regular basis. Are you with me? Let's pray. I'm going to close with prayer. Would you stand? And I just want to invite you, if this is something that you, you kind of go, I've, I've got this down. This is not a problem for me who could you encourage? Who's somebody around you that you know is just super busy that you could encourage them to grow in their trust for God by resting more? If you know this is this, this, is a, this would be a challenge for your family, I, I want you to ask God if this is something that he wants you to try. Just invite, invite the Holy Spirit to do something in your life. Say, hey, is this, should, should we try this as a family? And if you are, pray with sincerity, then you have to, you have to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit says there. So let's, let's take this to the Father. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to rest. You've done the work. You've done the work physically for us to provide what we need. You've done the work spiritually to provide for our salvation. And we're just grateful. But God, it's, it's hard to trust you enough to cease, to stop. My prayer, Father, is that you would, you would grow our trust in you to a point where we could take a day every week, and just rest in you. Would you do that in us, Father? We believe, according to your word, that this is good and right, but it seems hard. So would you make a way for us, encourage us, unite us with other people who we can practice with, and God, may we get to see the rewards of resting in you and show up in our lives, in our relationship with work and busyness. And then may we, Father, be more effective at being salt and light in a world that needs the hope of Christ. Would you do that in us and through us, Father? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.